The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, we got 5-5 five, five from the Packers. Oh, he's a problem. Team with the nail is going to be something special. Um, I don't have Tom's number. No, no, I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. Four is four. That's that's him. We don't call him 33. Call him four. So to to see him back in that in that four, uh, he grew up with the number. He went to college with the number. So um, I mean that that I feel like that four gives him that confidence, that extra confidence that he already had. And I'm I was born and raised about 45 minutes north of here uh, in Webster, Florida. So. I mean, it, it's home for me. <laughs> Everybody from my hometown was super excited. Uh, so, you know, the, it, it's really cool to be be so close close to where I grew up. Was there also a part of me that was like, man, I'm glad I don't have to go through that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, definitely. Just that's just the human element of it. Uh, just seeing the results, you definitely were like, Phew. if there was any year to miss, I missed a great one. <laughs> so. <laughs> Tuesday edition of PFTPM, the countdown ended with Travis Etienne. The Jaguars running back who missed all of last year with a torn ACL. He did pick the right year to miss Shireen. That was as forgettable of a season as we have ever seen in the NFL. Our goal for the next hour is to make this a less forgettable show than the year was for Urban Meyer and company in Jacksonville. Yes, it is, Mike. And another thing we saw in there is about the Bucks players, if they have Tom Brady's phone number or not. Let's just pull the curtain back on that a little bit. Players do have two – most players do have two cell phones. Apparently nobody has oh, – nobody on his team has Tom Brady's – either of Tom Brady's cell phones, but I guarantee you he has two cell phones. Almost every player in the NFL has two. One is for general use, and one is for close family and friends and teammates. So you only get that one if you're really, really special, Mike. Yeah, that's what they say. That's their story, and they're sticking to it as to why they have a second phone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there sure. are other reasons. Sure. Yes. Sure. That's why they have two phones. We'll, we'll ride with that one as long as we possibly can. Moving right along. Uh, and let's continue to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. You heard from Travis ATN. We also heard today from Trevor Lawrence, Jaguars starting quarterback, entering year two of his career. ATN and Lawrence were teammates at Clemson, now teammates in Jacksonville, both experiencing the crap first year of their respective careers. Here's Lawrence on new head coach Doug Peterson and whether to what extent quarterback and head coach are on the same page. I really like his demeanor. He's really, really calm. I mean, similar, honestly, to to Coach Bevel as far as demeanor. Really calm, never gets too high or too low. Um, so I really like that. That's the type of guy I like to be around. And then as far as just offensively, bring some different things to the table. Obviously, we haven't been together for long. It only really started on, on Monday, so can't say too much right now. But really like the way he thinks about things and just how he, the offense is so complimentary. Um, and just how he schemes things up. I think it's, he does a really good job of finding the weak points of defenses and exposing them, and I just think he's really smart. And being able to talk to him, I think we 
align pretty well, and we're, we're on the same page. And how he presumably won't abandon the team after a rough Thursday night loss or have videos emerge of him engaged in extracurricular activities at a public place when he otherwise should be with the team and not kick a kicker, allegedly. Those are all positives for Doug Peterson. None of those things have happened during his time as an NFL head coach. Who would have thought that those would actually be selling points? But in Jacksonville, they definitely are. Well, yeah, you start down at the bottom, Mike, and work your way up. 13 games Urban Meyer lasted last last year. And, and it's unfortunate for Trevor Lawrence, and we see it a lot with number one overall picks, quarterbacks I'm talking about, and high picks. And we saw it Baker Mayfield and, you know, just the change of head coach and the change of offensive coordinator and the change of system and the change of verbiage and, and everything that goes into that. And it really has set a lot of quarterbacks back, which is why you like what the Bengals did last year. They were able to keep Zach Taylor and you saw him build on what they did the first year, build on what Joe Burrow did the first year. And I think that was really important for Joe Burrow. Now, Jaguars, obviously, they were going to move on from Urban Meyer, but it's just unfortunate from Trevor Lawrence that, that he really has to start over now. I don't know if it was a totally a lost rookie season, Mike, but there wasn't much good to come out of it. Maybe you learn how to be a pro. Maybe you learn what's expected of you. Maybe you read defenses a little bit better, but he's really sort of starting over now, but he does have a good head coach now and Doug Peterson who played the position, Mike. And I know one positive development for Trevor Lawrence last year in the final game of the season when the Jaguars came together and beat the Colts for as bad as that was for the Colts that can be a flicker for Trevor Lawrence and company coaching staff gone but Lawrence is still there and I think Peter King has talked about this in the past on a Friday edition of PFT live how Lawrence really stepped up in that moment and that was kind of when he became an NFL quarterback and hey you take whatever you can get in a crap season like that where your head coach is creating more distractions than anyone in the organization and he's doing so repeatedly so that's good news for the Jaguars now look between the Jaguars Texans and Jets I put all three of them in the no chance to contend in the AFC this season category but who knows I'm going to be the last one to say this year (laughs) that there's any team that has no chance of making the playoffs, especially Hello, the team that's entering the second year with the first overall pick at quarterback. That's for damn sure. That's not happening again. But the Jaguars, anything they do this year is house yeah. money. Anything they do is above expectations because with all those great teams, the three teams quickly left to the side are Jaguars, Texans, Jets. So, You win five games this year, that's a damn good year. Anything more than that, hey, have a ticker tape parade in Jacksonville. And if they're even in playoff contention when Christmas rolls around, that's the best Christmas present anyone in Jacksonville can get. Well, they got to figure out how to beat the Texans. I mean, that, that's where you start, Mike. Until you can beat the Texans, you lost to them twice last year. Until you beat the Texans, you're going to be at the bottom of your division. So I think that's where you start in, in trying to, to make that next step. But the, the talent is upgraded. The coaching staff obviously is upgraded. You think you have your franchise quarterback. I think it's yet to be seen based on what he did last year. But this is a team that, you know, a couple years from now, I think they could be contenders. They, they have that talent. They have the coaching staff. Doug Peterson's won a Super Bowl. He played the position. He's, he played 100 games in the NFL at quarterback. 
he's dealt with really good quarterbacks. He's dealt with mediocre quarterbacks, and he's made them better. And so I just think that's going to be really good for Trevor Lawrence. And you're right. Anything they do this season, winning more than three games, four games, is going to be a success as this team tries to move forward. And this could be a team that you see win six or seven games. And if they do that, Mike, it's really, really a success story. And I think you're going to see them get good really quickly if they can get that momentum this season. Another team in Florida with a new head coach for entirely different reasons, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers breaking in Todd Bowles, who has been the defensive coordinator for three seasons. Levante David, veteran linebacker, with some comments about Bowles being promoted from defensive coordinator to head coach. Here's Levante David. Man, I love it. You know, I love the move. Um, They did a great thing, you know, uh, you know, uh, just – putting the right guy in front, you know, I think everybody's going to love him. Everybody's going to get along with him. You know, I talked to him. He said, you know, you, you guys, defense guys, y'all know me already. And you don't get no bad words from nobody from uh, talking about Bowles. You know, Coach Bowles is a great dude. He's a team first guy. He's a player first guy. <clears throat> and just just going to get the opportunity for the offense, you know, throughout this process, the guys on the offense to get to learn and get to know him. And um, I'm sure it's going to be great things. But I'm very happy for him, you know, um, if it weren't here, eventually it was going to be somewhere else. But uh, definitely a guy who you definitely could go out there and play hard for for a full four quarter for a football game. You know, I'm amazed by the fact that there's been, and I'm not trying to stir up any trouble here, unless I am, but there's not a single, what are we going to do without Bruce Arians? And maybe that's a testament to the team they've built. And maybe that's a testament yeah. to Todd Bowles. But the idea that, a Super Bowl winning head coach just goes late March, gone, done, over, and there's hardly a peep. There's hardly a fret. And there, may, there should be. There should be. Game day. Todd Bowles better step up. Bruce Arians always got it done on game day. There was never a Monday or a Tuesday or a Friday when we would talk about some major gaffe that Bruce Arians engaged in. The biggest mistake that happened on Bruce Arians' watch was the Tom Brady. I thought it was fourth down. That's it. And that's not on Arians. So I, I'm just surprised that there is such nonchalance about a pretty big deal. Bruce Arians suddenly out as head coach of the team, and everyone's kind of like, all right, let's go. And you're right, Mike, And when you think about it. And I hadn't really put it in those terms to think about Bruce Arians in the box and the lack of mistakes at the head coaching position. And there weren't many of them while he was the head coach of this team. And now Todd Bowles is taking over. And, and, and I agree with you. There just hasn't been a lot of, wow, we're really going to miss Bruce Arians, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, hey, we're excited about Todd Bowles and what he can bring uh, to the team. So he's going to ha- – he has a good chance now – to make this second chance right, 24-40 and 40 with the Jets. Of course, he went 2-1 and one as the Dolphins' interim coach way back when. But he gets that second chance now, and he better take advantage of it. He better be ready for, for what he's going to be called to do on game day because he's going to be very involved in the defense as Bruce Arians was on game day with the offense. And so he's got to be ready t- to all those decisions that come with timeouts and everything else. Now, Brady's going to help him. That's going to be a huge help for Todd Bowles in this, but he's going to have to be ready to do some different things this season than just simply concentrating on his defense when the offense is out there on the field. But you're right, Mike. There has been no outcry from Bucks players of, 
oh, we're going to miss Bruce Arians. Oh, we're sad Bruce Arians is gone. It's, hey, we're happy for Bruce Arians. We're happy that Todd Bowles is our head coach. Keon O'Neill, new arrival in Tampa Bay after stops in Atlanta, where he was a first-round pick, a one-time pro bowler last year with the Dallas Cowboys. Here's Keon O'Neill from the launch of the Tampa Bay offseason program on how it feels to be a member of the Buccaneers and working with Todd Bowles. Uh, it feels like home. Uh, you know, I got a lot of respect for the, the organization, uh, what they stand for, the team. Um, and talking with Coach Bowles, I mean, he's, he's a mastermind. He's, he's really good at what he does. Um, so really excited to be a part of this group, um, what, what, what they stand for, and what we got to offer. So. And look, they had needs at the position, and uh, they they lost Jordan Whitehead in free agency. But, you know, every guy they've lost, they've replaced. They've kept a lot of their guys. They're regarded, in my mind, as the co-favorites with the Rams in the NFC. The Packers are going to have to prove to me that they got the receiver position taken care of post-Avante Adams. I look at Tampa Bay and L.A. as the top two teams in the conference, and everybody else is going to be scrambling to try to match, if not exceed them. So, Good move for Levante David and Keanu Neal. David's still been around for a long time. Neal now getting his first crack. They come together to see what they can do. Oh, and Tom Brady is there as well. As more and more people continue to be amazed, and it really is amazing. I don't want to shut down the whole show here because we have important things to get to, but it really is amazing that the various reports out there regarding Tom Brady's effort to get to Miami have not caught more steam. Dan Levitard tweeted something about that earlier today and my prediction is the first Sunday of the regular season it will be a Sunday splash report on ESPN and or NFL Network and they'll act like it's the first time it's ever been mentioned or discussed that Tom Brady was going to join the Dolphins front office was going to be a minority owner of the Dolphins was eventually going to unretire Sean Payton was going to be the head coach it will be reported week one Sunday morning as if no one had ever breathed a word of it I'm writing that down I'm putting it in an envelope do not open until September 11, 2022. Yeah, and, and Mike, we talked on the show last week about how the Flores lawsuit changed the direction the Texans were going and changed the direction that the Dolphins were going. And it is amazing that that one thing happened and changed so many different things. And, and it, frankly, if Flores hadn't filed his suit, things would have been totally different in both of those places, and who knows what would have happened. I mean, you talk about the butterfly effect where a butterfly flaps its wings and so many different things change around the world. This was one hell of a wing flap that altered the course of the NFL for 2022 and will do so well beyond another controversy that may alter the course of the NFL and the Washington Commanders. Last week, the reporting was that the U.S. House Oversight and Reform Committee was looking into financial improprieties in addition to the chronic workplace issues that had spawned the investigation in the first place. Among the reports, an idea that a former employee, Jason Friedman, had spoken to the committee, 24-year employee in the ticketing area, given information reportedly, allegedly, about two sets of books, about the team finding a way to take money that otherwise would go to the pool that is shared by all teams as the visiting ticket revenue and keeping it for the Washington Commanders. Well, the commanders denied it pretty heavily last week. The committee supplied something much stronger today with a 20-page letter sent to the Federal Trade Commission and copies sent to the attorneys general of the surrounding jurisdictions, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, laying out the evidence that was provided 
by Jason Friedman to the committee. And there are two things here. We're going to try to boil this down because the article can get pretty confusing. There's a lot there. We tried to make it as simple as we could, distilling it from the very fine reporting of the Washington Post. There were two scams that were alleged by Jason Friedman. One, they were messing around with security deposits that multiple year season ticket holders had made and had basically forgotten about. They were not doing anything to help remind them of them and or creating enough obstacles that people would just say, screw it. And look, that happens from time to time. It's always easier to get them to take your money than it is to get them to give you their money back. There is a major publication, a major national publication that I almost subscribed to the other night until I saw that it wasn't nearly going to be as easy to stop the subscription as it was to start it. And that's usually the clue that there's a little scam floating around in this, that they're trying to throw obstacles in your way. So the Washington commanders allegedly were doing that and keeping money that was paid as security deposits by multiple year season ticket holders. On top of that, they were doing something that they referred to as gathering juice. What they would do, and Friedman apparently has the receipts. He apparently has emails and documents to back this up. Not good for Daniel Snyder. You find a way to finagle the numbers so that revenue that comes in for tickets sold to Washington Commanders home games, and I know at the time they weren't the Commanders, but they are now. They don't get to sanitize their new name by saying, well, we weren't the Commanders then. Don't call us the Commanders. You were the Commanders. You are the Commanders. Commanders get sullied by this mess. They would take that money, and they would push it toward non-NFL events, like a Kenny Chesney concert, an Army Notre Dame, Notre Dame. or a Navy Notre Dame game that was played at FedEx Field. Or, hey, hey, maybe even a game I went to, a match I went to, when I drove all the way over there to see Lionel Messi not play for Argentina at FedEx Field, when I realized what a complete and total s-hole that stadium is. It's horrendous. So anyway, anyway, uh, those are the two scams that were being run, allegedly. And now Congress wants the FTC to investigate. The attorneys general are on notice. Just Days after we saw that letter from six different attorneys general telling the NFL, we are watching you, NFL. We are watching you, just like Gaylord Fokker and uh, Robert De Niro in Meet the Parents. So uh, this is not good, Shireen. And it keeps getting worse. You know, every new development, it keeps getting worse for the Washington Commanders and Daniel Snyder. And you just have to wonder when it's going to implode. Because it feels like it's moving in that direction. Yeah, it really does, Mike. And it becomes more damning and more damning with every day, frankly, with every week uh, that we're hearing these things come out. I have two questions. Why wouldn't Daniel Snyder and and the Washington Commanders make Jason Friedman sign an NDA NDA and pay him whatever it took, million dollars, whatever, it's, it's walk away. Don't ever talk about this. Because he obviously has the papers. He obviously has the proof, or it seems like that, Mike, that he has the proof. So that's the first thing. And, and the second thing, could we see a class action suit? I don't know what the statute of limitations are, but could we see a class action suit from these people who didn't get their money back? 
Well, we could, and it would be an argument similar to the one that Ray Horton's going to make in the aftermath of the disclosure of the comments from Mike Malarkey. We talked about that last week as it related to the new edition of Horton and Steve Wilkes on the Brian Flores lawsuit. I just found out about it. I just found out about it. Yeah. So the clock starts running once it comes to light because they had hidden it from me. There's no way I could have known that I was getting screwed here. I had no reason to think they were doing this. Now, from the NFL's perspective, you're going to have hell to pay unless – and let me address the point you made first before I get too far past that. Lisa Banks, who represents Jason Friedman, referred to some restriction on the ability of Friedman to speak publicly. So he may have signed an NDA for just whatever basic severance – was available. And a lot yeah. of companies do that to get your one week of pay for every year of service. And that's a substantial amount of money for Jason Friedman. If he got one week for 24 years with the Washington Commanders organization, that's a lot of cash. You sign an NDA. He was able to testify to Congress. There's usually an exception in those NDAs that will allow testimony to be given. Maybe he had to tell them, I need a subpoena in order to be able to say anything. And maybe he got one. We don't know those details. But the subpoena would overcome whatever the protection of the NDA is. It's keeping him from telling his story publicly, but he told it privately. And it feels like he told it with a great deal of relish, that he was waiting to tell that story. Now, on top of that, the NFL. You would think the NFL would investigate this aggressively. And after having no comment to the Washington Post earlier today, Brian McCarthy The NFL spokesman said this, we continue to cooperate with the Oversight Committee and have provided more than 210,000 pages of documents. The NFL has engaged former SEC Chair Mary Jo White to review the serious matters raised by the committee. Now, that's new that White is also reviewing the financial side of it. We thought White was hired to address the new allegations that were made in February when the Oversight Committee had a roundtable Session. It wasn't a hearing per se. The witnesses weren't under oath, but there was a former employee named Tiffany Johnston who made allegations about Daniel Snyder that weren't part of the prior investigation because she refused to cooperate with the prior investigation. Mary Jo White was retained for that. So it sounds like Mary Jo White's work is now morphing into getting to the bottom of these financial improprieties. But the problem with this is that, and how do I put this? I guess I should just put it. The NFL is not going to want to come off as incompetent or asleep at the switch or deliberately negligent or in cahoots in any way with any of these financial improprieties. And the argument, if I were the owner of another team or an executive with another team, I would want to know how in the hell the NFL didn't know this was happening. What protections do you have in place? Or, frankly, do you not have in place? Because maybe we'll do the same thing. But there may be some people right now very nervous at 345 Park Avenue, including Jeff Pash, the pen pal of former Washington President Bruce Allen. Remember those emails about how cozy they were? I'll tell you what, there could be heads rolling, not just at the team headquarters, but at league headquarters when they get to the bottom of this one, Shireen. And, Mike, what do you put the odds that Daniel Snyder loses ownership of his team? Because it was, it, it's been obvious that the NFL doesn't want that because the other 31 owners don't want that because they probably have some similar things somewhere in, in the closet buried deep in there, and they don't want any of that to come out. But what odds do you put on Daniel Snyder now losing his team, seeing that he kept money from the other owners, from the NFL, based on these allegations? There's got to be a point where – and 
I remember using this example when it came to the name change, that back in 2013, 2014, when people really started to agitate aggressively for the team name to be changed, there was a thought that at some point a small group of owners would go to Daniel Snyder like occurred in the early 70s with Richard Nixon when it was time for him to resign as president. You go to Snyder and you say, it's time to give this up. I just wonder if there's going to be Jerry Jones and others who go to Daniel Snyder and say, look, we just we just have to find a way to end this. And I've suggested the easiest solution would be Snyder gets out. His wife takes over unless she's complicit in any way in these financial improprieties. And it may be at this point the owners don't want any Snyders in charge of the team because the reason to have Tanya Snyder take it over is so the kids can eventually get it. And as I've said in the past, with all due respect, unless the apple fell in the orchard way over there, I don't want the kids running the team if I'm a fan of the commanders. And I definitely don't want the kids running the team if I'm a partner of the commanders. Because what makes you think the kids are going to do anything any differently than dad did? And I know that is an unfair generalization and the sins of the father are not visited upon the child and blah, 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 blah. But it's not going to go over well when it's time for the owners to figure out what to do if there's a proposal at this point to just give the keys to Tanya Snyder and let the kids inherit it later. It could be that the league, if there's any truth to this allegation that he was picking the pockets of his colleagues, and again, I'm not saying there is any truth to it. Please don't sue me, although I think he's kind of tied up right now. last thing he's going to worry about is suing some hack in West Virginia. But, (laughs) but, I have a point somewhere lurking in all of this. The owners may excommunicate any and all Snyders. Anyone named Snyder gone we don't want to do business with any Snyders we don't want to do anything they're out it's over it's done cash out and go and the more evidence they have of wrongdoing the easier it's going to be to win whatever legal fight you know one of the reasons I think they've tiptoed around Daniel Snyder is they don't want the legal fight at some time you just got to say we'll take it we'll take it because we're going to win it we'll gladly air out dirty laundry we'll gladly take you on because at some point someone has got to take you out Mike this is a franchise that has so much rich history until Dan Snyder took over. And then you look at the history since then, and there's an apathy about this organization. They are 31st. They were last year. They were 31st in attendance. There's no excitement around this team. There's nothing. And 31st in attendance, by the way, coming off an NFC East championship, no one cares about this organization. If they didn't have the history before Dan Snyder, this would be the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans, you name it. There's just an apathy about this team, and it's going to remain that way as long as any of the Snyders are involved in ownership of this team, Mike. And it's a shame for Jason Wright. It's a shame for Ron Rivera because I do think they're trying to do things right in the organization. But as long as the Snyders hang over this team, it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. And you've now got the double whammy. You've got the chronic allegations of workplace misconduct that have stuck to Daniel Snyder at some level. And we haven't gotten to the truth of what the findings were from Beth Wilkinson because the NFL tried to do him a favor and cover it up. And as the saying goes, no good deed goes unpunished. If they had just pushed him out when they did, they wouldn't have to deal with this other embarrassment of – Customers being allegedly or possibly cheated out of money, potential litigation arising from that news that the NFL got snookered by this two sets of books scam that was going on in the Washington franchise for a period of time. 
it's not good for anybody. And the sooner that Daniel Snyder is no longer affiliated with the NFL in any way, shape, or form, the better off the NFL will be. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't like to openly call for someone's job. I think financially Daniel Snyder will still be all right unless he ends up in prison. That would be a problem. That would put a crimp on at least his ability to enjoy the fruits of a lifetime of labor. But And I'm not rooting for him to go to jail either, but he needs to be as accountable as anybody else would be if he violated the law. That's for somebody else to decide. That's for a prosecutor to first consider whether or not to press charges. That's for a jury ultimately to decide whether or not to find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. My point is this. He's a stain on the NFL. He's a poison on the NFL. If the NFL wants to be everything it can be, it must be done with Daniel Snyder. And the sooner the better, Mike. That's the thing. The sooner the better they need to get rid of Dan Snyder. And you're right. It needs to be a group of owners. Jerry Jones is tight with Daniel Snyder. He needs to lead this charge to, to go to Washington and say, it's time. It's time to move on from this team. And I know some of you may be saying, wait a minute. None of this has been proven. Wait a minute. None of this has been proven. He's never been found guilty of anything. He's, I, and and I'll, I'll make a point that I made a couple of weeks ago. It reminds me of 2007, April. Maybe this exact same day, it was early to mid-April, I believe, that the commissioner beefed up the personal conduct policy, specifically in regards to the examples of Pac-Man Jones and the late Chris Henry. And the idea was, it doesn't matter if you're not found guilty. If you end up in trouble five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, at some point, that's a you problem. At some point, we don't care that you weren't convicted or that you didn't plead guilty or no contest or entered a diversion program. We don't care. The fact that you are in the middle of so many of these controversies in and of itself is damaging to our brand. That same reasoning applies to Daniel Snyder. You may have a perfectly good explanation for all of this stuff, but who else is in the middle of all of this stuff? Who else has, who, who else has former employees who hate them so much that they would go to Congress and embellish or fabricate if that's the explanation, and I'm not so sure it is. Who else has this kind of hatred, raw hatred, from his fans, from his colleagues, from his workers? It's just not good for the NFL to have someone who is that despised. I remember when I was practicing law, there was a, a company that I was aware of, and I did some work. This was before I was representing individuals, and I was consulting with businesses, and I was amazed they had so many things they were doing wrong, so many technical violations of the law. But their employees were perfectly happy. Nobody ever said anything. It was never going to be a problem because nobody was ever sufficiently motivated to make a problem. With the commanders, it seems like everybody who worked there yeah. is motivated to make a problem. And at a certain point, the NFL has to ask itself, is this somebody we really want owning one of our franchises? Well, and that's a problem, Mike. I mean, no one there appears happy with, with what they're doing. And you've seen it with the constant turnover underneath Daniel Snyder. I mean, it's been over and over and over again. I'm talking in the front office, in the business office, in the public relations office, everything else. It's obvious they aren't happy because if they were happy, they would stay there forever and they wouldn't be talking when they leave the organization. So a change needs to be made, Mike, and a change needs to be made sooner than later um, Mary Jo White has her hands full, but this should be the first priority to, to move on this and, and get Daniel Snyder out of there, frankly. 
Yeah, we'll see uh, how it goes. And look, Mary Jo White, in my opinion, keeps getting assignments from the NFL because she keeps giving the NFL mm. what the NFL wants. That's how there's an art to it. There's a way to kind of get an idea of what the client wants. And so you, you, there's a lot of discretion that gets exercised when you're interpreting facts and making conclusions. And she's done a good job in the past, as far as her client is concerned, the NFL, of giving them what it wants. She's got the Washington investigation. She's got the Stephen Ross $100,000 pay-to-lose investigation. And she got those because the NFL was happy with what she's done in the past. They're not going to be happy with us if we keep going. We need to take a break. we got plenty more to get to, including some initial comments from a new teammate of Russell Wilson, the Broncos quarterback. And this teammate, Cortland Sutton, understands that there is a very real difference in having Russell Wilson around. We'll discuss that when PFTPM continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, I, I think that you all can feel it. I mean, we all can feel it. The juice is just, it's, it's, it's different. You know, I wasn't around when Peyton came, was here, but um, from what I'm hearing, the, everyone that, that was here when Peyton was here, is, you know, the, the, the juice and the energy is pretty similar. You know, knowing that we have a, a guy that's, that has, has, has been at the top of that mountain before, has won the Super Bowl before, does know what it's like to be, you know, at, at the highest level, you know, for his position and to, and to you know, lead a team to a Super Bowl. And, you know, I think everyone in the in the building understands the the expectation, the the standards are being been risen to you know everyone's best. You know, from you know the 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 the, the cooks to you know the equipment guys, video everyone, everyone in the building is understanding that you know we have to operate at a different level. We're operating at a different standard, and you know I think it's it's Russ plus you know Coach Hackett, you know the new coaching staff. I think everyone is bringing that new juice, that new energy into the building and I, I think everyone is 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 buying into it and, and understanding you know what the standard is that's Cortland Sutton Broncos receiver talking about new quarterback Russell Wilson and I can attest to that because the first time I was ever around Russell Wilson January of 2014 the year that the Seahawks and the Broncos played in the Super Bowl, when the Seahawks arrived in town, I had a sit-down with Russell Wilson that was played at halftime of the Pro Bowl. That was the year the NBC had the Pro Bowl game. And when that guy walks into a room, yeah. he just brings with him an energy. You know he's there. He talks to everyone, shakes everyone's hand. You know he's, He carries himself in a way that is different. And I think that's what Cortland Sutton is getting at. You've got guys who can throw a football, who are quarterbacks, but they aren't that guy who has a quality that differentiates him from everyone else. And you see it with Peyton Manning. You see it with Tom Brady. You see it with Aaron Rodgers. You see it with Russell Wilson. You see it with others. And, and I had a head coach explain to me a few years ago, look, you either have a quarterback who's naturally like that where it's on the team to convince everyone that he's like that. 
that it's on the team to prop up the guy who isn't naturally the charismatic, you're going to notice me as soon as I show up personality. And Russell Wilson has that. And if it does inspire everyone in the building to take their job, whatever their job is, do your effing job, Bill Parcells, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton style, if it inspires everyone to focus on their job and do their job to the best of their ability, it's going to work. Because one by one, brick by brick, person by person, everyone's going to do their job. It's going to stack up, and it's going to be better than what the Broncos have had in the years since Peyton Manning retired. Yeah, Mike, six years since Peyton Manning retired, 10 quarterbacks since then, a 39-58 and 58 record in that span. The reason is they couldn't find that franchise quarterback. They drafted him. They traded for him. They signed him in free agency. It didn't work. So finally they went out and got a franchise quarterback who is a proven franchise quarterback, only 33 years old, has a Super Bowl ring, has 104 victories in the regular season. I mean, he's gotten it done, and they know that he can lead them where they want to go. This was a better team than 39 victories over the last six years, and I think they're going to prove that this season. To me, they're, I mean, that, that division is stacked, but if I had to pick today, I might pick the Broncos to win that division. They, they have really improved their talent at the quarterback position, and I think they've had the other parts to go around it. Now they just have to put it all together, and that started this week, Mike, with the offseason workouts, and, they'll, and they'll, they'll get there. They'll get there with, he'll get there with his receivers. He'll get there with the other parts, but this is a really good football team, Mike, now, and it just took getting that franchise quarterback. took a long time, but I think they finally have him. The ultimate litmus test is whether or not Russell Wilson can rise to the level of week-in and week-out franchise quarterback. In Seattle, was it yeah. they weren't using him the right way, or was it there's a cap on his abilities that doesn't go as far as he thinks it does. That's going to be an interesting test. But to the extent that his personality can make everyone around him better, that's why I won't completely write off the idea that wins count when we look at quarterbacks. I know it's so much broader than that. But a quarterback who is a great leader can have the same yeah. kind of impact on a team that a great coach can have when it comes to inspiring people to do their jobs and to go out and be better than they can be and to work together and to set aside anything unrelated. Like the story that Peter King told about Devin White, the Buccaneers linebacker, being down in the mouth because he didn't make it to the Pro Bowl. And Tom Brady goes yeah. to him and says, Who cares? We're not worried about the Pro Bowl. Or when they won the NFC Championship and there's guys in the locker room crying and Tom Brady chews them out for crying. Because they haven't won anything yet. They still have one more step. That's the kind of thing that a guy can, can do to make a real difference. And maybe Russell Wilson's going to do that for the Broncos. They haven't been horrible. They just haven't been as good as they were with Peyton Manning. Yeah. The Seahawks, who acquired Noah Fant, first-round tight end in the trade that sent Russell Wilson to Denver. Obviously, the Broncos gave up a lot more than Noah Fant. But Fant becomes the first player this year to have his fifth-year option picked up. And it's the first Seahawk on whom the team has picked up the fifth-year option. It's only been around since 2011. And the Seahawks have typically been drafting late in the round, so it's not like they're getting the best players <laughs> not at all. late in the round. Or not at all, because they've traded out. 
But uh, look, this is a no-brainer. You're, you're going to pick up the fifth-year option on Noah Fant. Otherwise, why do you even want him in the trade package? The fifth-year option gives you certainty. It gives you the player for one more year. It guarantees his salary, yes. But if they weren't interested in keeping him through 2023, they wouldn't have wanted him to be one of the players that was sent from Denver to Seattle, Shereen. Yeah, this was a no-brainer, Mike. And the reason they traded for him was the intent to pick up the fifth-year option, and now they've done that. So it's not a surprise that he's the first one to get the fifth-year option because when they traded for him, that had to be a condition they looked at. We're going to have him for two more years, not just for this year. But almost 2,000 yards receiving, 10 touchdowns with the quarterbacks he's played with over the last three years. I don't know that he's going to have a much better quarterback this year. It may be Drew Locke. We'll see how that works out. But I think he's a really good tight end, Mike, and I think they have a part to build around for the next two years or beyond. I'm sure they hope they get a long-term extension done with him, but for now it's, it's the next two years. Well, they have another pass catcher that is a higher priority when it comes to yep. getting an extension done or not done, as the case may be. Aaron Rodgers reportedly not expected to attend the voluntary phases of the offseason program this year. He didn't do it last year. The difference this year, though, is Devontae Adams is gone. Best player on the team not named Aaron Rodgers. He's gone. We still don't know what their plan is. It surely can't be Randall Cobb and whoever else happens to be there. Now, Alan Lazard most likely will be there at some point. But Marquez Valdez-Scantling is gone. Adams is gone. This is... A receiving core in shambles at a time when Rodgers said in the aftermath of the loss to the 49ers in the playoffs, I don't want to be part of a rebuilding effort. They're not necessarily rebuilding, but they're basically starting from scratch with the wideouts. So I look at it this way. And again, and I understand it's voluntary. I understand you don't have to be there. I understand you're working for free or for whatever your piddly little workout bonus is. I think for Aaron Rodgers, it's $50,000. Big freaking deal for him. But you got to put in the work with these wideouts. I remember last year, there was nothing either at the offseason program or a gathering in California or Green Bay or Hawaii or wherever. And at least he had the institutional knowledge with Devontae Adams and Scantling and Lazard, and they bring back Randall Cobb, a guy he's comfortable with. He needs to have a trust level. How do you get that trust level just in training camp, especially if the Packers rebuild the position with rookies? And I've said this before, and it bears repeating. They need to involve Aaron Rodgers in the scouting of these receivers, in the targeting of the receivers, in the selection of the receivers. Because the more he's bought in with the guys they have, the more effort I think he's going to, to, to give to get these guys up to speed and the more welcoming he's going to be and the more trusting he's going to be because he's going to be invested in it. Hey, this is a guy that I recommended. They drafted the guy that I said they should get. This is my guy, and I'm going to take care of him, and I'm going to do everything I can to make him as good as he can be. They'd be smart if they did that, and it gets to the core of his complaints from last year. Their attitude is, yeah. you just work here. This is definitely an area where – their attitude toward Aaron Rodgers should not be, you just work here. Well, in 1997, Mike, the Cowboys did the same thing with Troy Aikman, and they actually had him go to campuses and throw to some tight ends. They were interested in tight ends, went and threw 
and the Cowboys ended up picking David LaFleur, and it was because Aikman really liked David LaFleur. Now, David LaFleur probably didn't work out the way the Cowboys had hoped he had worked out drafting in the first round. And I did go back today and look to see who they passed over to get David LaFleur. There was nobody in that draft they, they even remotely passed over to get David LaFleur. I mean, Ray Carruth and all those guys are or below David LaFleur. So he probably at that point was the best pick for the Cowboys, even though he didn't work out quite like they had hoped he worked out. Nine picks after Tony Gonzalez went. I know they would have rather had Tony Gonzalez as things worked out, Mike. But that's something that that they can involve Aaron Rodgers in with this team, whether it's going to campus, he's interested in that or not. But even watching film on these guys, just getting some input from him so he does feel like he's involved in the process. I think that would be really important to him And, Mike, even to your point, even if they go out and sign one of these free agent receivers, and I think they probably will, whether it's a Julio Jones or a Jarvis Landry or Odell Beckham, whoever it happens to be, I think they're going to end up with at least one of these guys. I mean, they have to, in my mind, as well as draft receivers, they have to upgrade that position from where they are right now. But even if they do that, Aaron Rodgers doesn't know that guy. He's never thrown to that guy, that veteran receiver. He doesn't know what that veteran receiver abilities are at this point in his career, and that receiver doesn't know Aaron Rodgers and what he likes. So if they're going to be able to do that over training camp or maybe some off-site workouts, I don't know, but it would behoove him, I think, to be there at least for part of those workouts to try to get to know those receivers when they end up with the receivers they end up with, even if that's after the draft. At least he would get that experience with those receivers after the draft, Mike. Packers CEO Mark Murphy recently said that they believe Jordan Love, the first-round pick that they traded up to get in 2020 and that sparked this whole year-plus of consternation between Rodgers and the team. They think he can be a good player, but they haven't seen enough. They'll see plenty in the offseason program, but they need to see him in games. And I said this earlier today because we talked about it, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because we got other things to get to, but of all the people involved in this mess in Green Bay the past two years, the one person and the only person I feel sorry for is Jordan Love because he's the only one that didn't choose to be part of it, Shireen. Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And and I don't think other teams know what Jordan Love is or what he can be. And they're not going to be willing to give up a lot to get Jordan Love. And I think at some point, probably after this year, because I think he's going to be there this year, but after this year, they're going to have to probably trade him unless Aaron Rodgers decides to call it a career. Jordan Love's going to be playing somewhere, somewhere else. And the Packers do have a history, Mike, of getting draft picks for quarterbacks, I mean, you look at, at Mike uh, Flynn, Mark Brunel, some of those guys, Matt Flynn, Mark Brunel, they, they got draft picks for them. But they're certainly not going to get a first-round draft pick as it stands right now for Jordan Love. And they gave up too much to get him when they could have ended up with a receiver or somebody else. And they'd be far ahead of where they are right now, at, at, at probably at the receiver position, because that's probably what they would have ended up with, Mike. And they don't have that. Instead, they have Jordan Love. And he's sitting there wasting away while Aaron Rodgers wastes away the rest of his career without some top receivers now that Devontae Adams is gone. And I think they keep Jordan Love because the salary's low, and meanwhile he's going to sit yeah. three, maybe four years before he ever gets a chance to play. And I know quarterbacks play a long time, but it gets back to my feelings that I, we don't have time for me to get into it today. But I don't like the draft because I think these guys should be able to decide where they're going to play because I don't think Jordan Love would have signed up 
to go to Green Bay yeah. if he had been given the opportunity to go somewhere else. All right, let's take a break. John Harbaugh recently addressed Lamar Jackson's contract, plus how Tua feels about having Mike McDaniel as his head coach in Miami. All that and more when PFTPM continues right after this. I've said this before, and you say it, you know, it's when he's ready to do it, it's going to become a priority for him, then we're going to know it, you know. And uh, it, it doesn't have to be a priority for us right now. It's got to be a priority for both sides. We could do something uh, or we can wait because we know it's going to get done, you know, uh, when, it's, when it's supposed to get done or when, you know, hey, when it's God's will and Lamar's will at the same time, it's, it's going to all fit together. So, you know, but I, I, do, I do believe Lamar when he tells me that, man, he just, wants to, he just wants to be the best quarterback it could be, and that's what he's thinking about right now. And he doesn't, have, he doesn't think he has to think about his contract. He thinks, feels like he's got time to do it. And, yeah, you could argue that one way or the other, but everybody gets to make that decision for themselves. That's a great thing. Glass half full for John Harbaugh. It reminds me of one of those sessions in the office where something has happened that isn't all that great, but the person they're speaking to at the time who's doing the confession into the camera finds a way to spin it in a good way, like this is what I would have wanted anyway. I, th- this is not good for the Ravens. This is not good for Lamar Jackson. And this is careening towards Shireen. A hell of a decision. For the Ravens, this dawned on me this morning as I was writing up a post based on the comments mm-hmm. from John Harbaugh and Rich Eisen's show. He doesn't do a contract this year, and he's already told them he's not going to. After the season, franchise tag. Which franchise tag do they use? Do they do non-exclusive and create a situation where he can negotiate with other teams, sign an offer sheet, Ravens don't match it, they get two first-round picks? Or do they do the exclusive franchise tag where he will get, instead of roughly $34 million, the average of the five highest paid players in the NFL at his position, the quarterback position, for 2023? And we won't even have a number locked in until April of next year because we won't know what the cap numbers are. It can go up and go down. But it's going to be more than $34 million. Pretty safe bet. It'll be more than $34 million when you look at what some of these guys are making. That's a hell of a decision for the Ravens. And it was that possible decision non-exclusive or exclusive, that caused them to give Joe Flacco $20 million a year and made him the highest-paid player in the NFL 10 years ago after his rookie contract expired. They may be facing the same dilemma, but not with a guy who's willing to sign a long-term contract instead of forcing them to choose a lane, exclusive or non-exclusive. The, the Ravens are, are potentially going to be in for one hell of a decision. They are, Mike, and, I, you know, I can't figure out why Lamar Jackson would not engage. Obviously, he doesn't have an agent. We know that. But this, to me, seems like huge risk, considering since he became the starter in the middle of the 2018 season, he's taken 736 hits. That's 64 more than any other quarterback in the NFL. We've seen the injuries. We saw him miss the end of last year when he had that bone bruise in his foot. So we, we've seen some things happen to him, and this just could be, to me, a huge roll of the dice for him. And the question I have for you, is, that, is there a chance that he comes out better than Josh Allen, who got, what, $100 million guaranteed? Is there a chance he comes out way worse than Josh Allen if he had gone ahead and signed something after last season or signed something now, Mike? 
Well, we don't know what the Ravens would pay him right now. I said last year after I saw the details of the Josh Allen contract, Lamar Jackson should take it in yeah. to the Ravens and say, give me this deal. Or go in now and say, give me Deshaun Watson. But he won't say anything. He won't engage them. And I know he responded angrily to the perception that he wants out of Baltimore. He's not acting like someone who wants to stay. And if his motivation is win a Super Bowl and then get paid, he doesn't realize that not doing a deal that gives the team cap certainty, they are going to know what cap dollars they need to have available for other players, what they will have available at other positions, what they'll be devoting to Lamar Jackson once they have a long-term contract. That's one of the ingredients in letting the team figure out how to put the roster around him to win a Super Bowl. So I don't understand it. He's taken a hell of a risk here. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's the fact that I've said it before, it never stops me from saying it again. If this was my son, brother, cousin, nephew, friend, client, next door neighbor, guy on the street, enemy. anybody that is willing to listen to me, even my enemy, I'd say, what are you doing? What are you yeah. doing? And I'll hang on here. I know we're not really good friends here, but this isn't real smart what you're doing here. It really isn't because you play the position in a physical way. You're taking a hell of a risk. I just hope he understands and appreciates the risk he's taking and that he has someone who can say to him, are you really sure, Lamar, that this is what you want to do? Because if you play this out and you go three more years, year to year, and then you put the Ravens in a position where they have to let you become a free agent, how much tread's going to be left on the tires? And not, not a broken ankle, not a torn ACL. I'm talking about just that chronic wear and tear where all of a sudden you wake up one day and you realize, I feel every bit of 28 or 29. I feel more like 58 or 59. So that's, that's the challenge for the, uh, the Ravens and for Lamar Jackson. Real quickly, Tua Tonga-Valoa says he's feeling a new level of support from Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins staff. Well, that's good because he got no support before. It was pretty clear. Everybody wanted to get rid of him and get to Sean Watson. So, yes, they are now all in for Tua, and they're going to see what they can get from Tua. It's no excuses for Tua, but they're going to support him. And if he fails, he can't say they didn't support me. He can't say I didn't have teammates around me that were going to perform at a high level. It's all on him. Well, and they have no choice right now but to support him, Mike. And they've done that by all the players they've signed, they've traded for, everything else. I mean, they've had a really good offseason, so there are no excuses. The quarterback we know drafted ahead of, Tom, of Tua. Joe Burrow has played in the Super Bowl. The quarterback drafted after Tua, immediately after Tua, Justin Herbert. He's played in a Pro Bowl. So it's on Tua now this year to get it done, Mike. He is out of excuses. All right, let's answer a few questions real quickly. First of all, Lemon3, are we any closer to Dan Snyder being forced to sell today than we were yesterday? And I can only say to that, I sure hope so, Shireen. <laughs> yeah, agreed, Mike. And the sooner the better, as we've said. Yeah, I mean, look, if he survives this, then he could survive anything. I, 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 th this just seems like something that no owner in any professional sports ever had to deal with. Um Let's answer one more here real quickly. Ralph Doherty won. Who will be the next Broncos owner? Everything I've seen points to S. Robson Walton, the son of Walmart founder Sam Walton, another American oligarch. I don't know if he has a super yacht, but he could have a whole fleet of them. He's worth $70 billion, Shireen. He has enough money to buy the team, Mike, so it looks like it is headed that way. He could have all of the boats from <laughs> Battleship, real life. Wouldn't that be something? 
I wonder oh if there's gosh. some guy out there who grew up wishing that I would have a fleet of boats that were the very same boats from the game Battleship. He could do it. He could do it. And he, he'll be able to he outbid whoever else gets in on this Broncos thing. And, you know, and he's the cousin of Stan Kroenke. And uh, what a shock. More of the same for the types of people that own NFL teams. So more of the problems we've been seeing, possibly. Mike, when we were in West Palm Beach for the owners' meetings, you saw the yachts there decked out. I wondered how many of those belonged to because you know several of them did. Stan Kroenke's super yacht was off in the distance from where we stayed the weekend of the Super Bowl. That thing is massive. And I think that's, that's how they compete with each other. Who's got the biggest super yacht? Who's got the best football biggest team? Yacht. Who's got the most money? That's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow morning for PFT Live. Have- the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.